Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to the Politically Incorrect podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host from News Talk Florida. And today... We have with us our normal panel of experts. That would, of course, be Joe Henderson on the left, Tom on the right, and our guest for today is somebody who's our in-house guy. If you haven't listened to Chris Fisher on your morning, on your wake-up call, I'm sorry, in the morning, 6 to 9 a.m. on WWBA, 8.20 a.m. in the Tampa Bay area, and you can find it on TuneIn and also watch it uh, at, uh, at uh, newstalkflorida.com. You'll see Chris and Blake Bass and Kurt Schreiner, uh, the morning guys over there at WWBA. They do an outstanding job. And Chris, welcome not only to uh, the Politically Incorrect podcast, but welcome to uh, being a morning show host on the team with us. Thank you very much. Um, thanks for having me. I've uh, been in radio for over 20 years and mainly on the FM side of things doing music-based uh, formats. But every time that I got off the air, you know, doing a morning show throughout my career, career I'd immediately get in my car and flip over to the AM and see what all the uh, the talkers were talking about. Mainly back in the 90s, that was Rush Limbaugh. But uh, So it's it's fun that at this point in my career, I get a chance to get in there and uh, and mix it up with some substantive topics. Well, it's good to have you with us. And uh, we are just going to have a little fun here as we always do when we get together. And uh, Hey guys, you know, there's a story that was in my mind anyway, uh, a little underreported and that had to do with uh, earlier this week, the Freddie Gray uh, saga came to an end when um, they decided not, they meaning the, uh, city attorney's office uh, decided not to proceed with any more uh, trials after there were three acquittals. And so all six of the officers were, will basically um, walk away from this and uh, there'll be no charges. And uh, I want to say this, uh, I, I think kudos to, Mayor Stephanie Rawlings Blake's office to the Black Lives Matter movement and to the police, all of whom have been working in concert uh, since last year's disastrous uh, night. They've been working together to make sure that regardless of how what the outcome of any of these trials were, that there wasn't going to be violence again, that if there was going to be any sort of protest, that it was going to be a a silent one and one that did not the neighborhood. And I think they did a pretty good job of making that happen uh, in so much as 
I'm just bringing it up at this point, and very few things have happened. But kudos to all three of those groups. I had the pleasure of working with them, and, and I take absolutely no credit for anything that happened uh, on the good side here. But uh, when, you've, when you've got a concerted effort by the mayor's office, by the activist groups of the Black Lives Matter and the police department all working as one, sometimes things actually do work. So, it's instructive, isn't it? It's absolutely it, instructive for, for the rest of us to when that people can reach across their differences in in pursuit of the greater good. Uh, Tom Jackson here, by the way, and uh, that that is all to the good. I mean, I'm not close enough. Jim, you're much closer to Baltimore and, and apparently are involved in that to to have a, a great feeling for what has gone down. As somebody who's been watching this uh, from the get go from the safe distance of Tampa. Um, it looked to me like it was always going to be a hard case to prove, but by the same token, I think that uh, given given the temperature of the community at the time, that bringing charges was was something that that, that had to happen. Um, and in the and in the wake of charges being overturned, dropped, and acquittals, for Baltimore to be uh, in, in 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 a state of calm is, as you say, incredibly reassuring and instructive to the rest of us. Well, yeah, to Jim's point, and this is Chris Fisher, um, uh, as soon as I saw that they weren't going to pursue the charges for the rest of this, uh, I immediately was looking for the next headline, which is Baltimore's on fire. And, uh, and when I didn't see it, I looked again, I hit refresh, and I hit refresh again waiting for the headline. It was really good to see that. So what, what did they do? What did they do? How did they handle that behind the scenes to make sure that that didn't happen? What they did, and this uh, it started with Elijah Cummings, who is the um, congressman who whose district is Baltimore. And right after, I mean, Elijah Cummings has had a, a, a stellar career in civil rights. And so what what um, Congressman Cummings did is he went out and reached out to a number of people, and and I happen to know a few of them, so I ended up being part of this little group of um, civil civic leaders of um, community activists, people within the mayor's office, uh, people within the police department and people within the Black Lives Matter movement. And the concept was to constantly on a sometimes daily, sometimes weekly basis, keep the dialogue going throughout the trials, throughout the entire process, so that everybody knew that there was a transparency going on through this entire situation. There was not, and this is a very interesting part to all this, there was not a jury trial. All of the policemen waived the jury trial. It was a simple matter of convincing a judge whether or not they were or were not guilty. And um, as I said, when the uh, there were three trials, all of whom were acquitted. And then the uh, situation with regard with the uh, the final two trials coming out uh, this week, saying that they were dropping the charges. One was a hung jury, or not a hung jury, uh, um, not enough information to to convict. So it was a uh, an acquittal on that. That was the first trial. So six for six in that regard, and not one um, protest that 
anything got broken or anything. Uh, uh, I, I don't think, frankly, that even I can recall them making the news with the protest. So I think that once there's transparency, that everybody sees that the process is working, you may not like how it turns out, but you see that justice prevails. And if they didn't have enough evidence to convict, then there's no reason to argue or there's no reason to have a uh, have a uh, a situation where you are lighting the candle on a fire that you can't put out. And I think that because of cooler heads prevailing throughout this entire process, it is, as Tom uh, Jackson said, uh, something that we can all learn from, and hopefully it's something that will be a template that we can learn from throughout the rest of the um, the country as these trials unfortunately go down throughout the country. Let's talk yeah, a little um, bit more about. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, uh, Joe Henderson here. Um, what was what was really interesting to me throughout the process was uh, Jim, as you noted, it was it was a trial by judge and. Uh, and not by jury, and the judge kept telling the prosecutor, in each case, you've presented the same facts that I, you know, acquitted on in the last uh, trial. So finally, I guess the the state got the message that well, this is all we got, and if that's not enough evidence, then there's really no sense going forward with it. And we can have all of our theories about what went down that you want, and it, it really depends which side of the issue you come down on. But trials, all trials, but especially ones of this nature, are supposed to be decided on the facts. And if there weren't enough facts to convict, then this was a proper and just decision. Well, and, and honestly, to that point, Joe, the situation was that the last two people on the list were the two weakest uh, possible trials. So if you couldn't have nailed on the first four, there was no way it was going to happen on the last two. So there was no sense wasting the county and the city's money to continue to move forward. So that was the reason that uh, Marilyn Mosby, who was the, um, who is, um, I should say, the uh, the state's attorney who dropped the charges because she figured it was uh, it was worthless to move forward in that regard. So anyway, uh, Jimbo, I got I got one quick question on that though. For um, the fact that there were were no riots or after this, obviously everybody's happy with that. But as you are closer to the scene up there, let me ask you this: Is there a feeling that has been expressed by uh, Black Lives Matter or people in Baltimore in general that? Okay, we're not going to riot, but it's the same old, same old. They got away with it. You know, it um, it isn't. What it is is there is a now a blowback, and it comes from both sides. It comes from uh, the police. It comes from Black Lives Matter, and in some regards, it even comes from uh, government itself. That perhaps, and as Tom Jackson said earlier, that there was such a rush to judgment by. Uh, by Ms. Mosby to get something on the books, uh, to get trials going, to get things moving, that they went flying past what might have been 
stronger cases and maybe not all six of the people involved might have been involved, but maybe they would have had maybe two or three strong cases to get something. But in her zeal to get um, these things to, um, to the docket last summer, in doing so, she the, what, the evidence wasn't there. And it didn't take long, frankly, after all of these, uh, all of these were filed that most every analyst who was a legal analyst, analyst who weighed in pretty much said they predicted the outcome. And so right now, the person in the crosshairs, if you will, of the of the uh, ire of this from Black Lives Matter, from the police department, and from, as I said, to uh, City Hall, is Marilyn Mosby. So I think she's the one who will pay the price for this. And uh, it won't be uh, from people rioting in the streets. It will be undoubtedly from, in some way, shape, or form, having her ousted as the, uh, the AG in the, in the city. From the state's attorney's office, so that that might be the next step. So anyway, that well, puts probably, a bow probably on Probably a good step at this point. Yeah. Now, so so Jim, how much of this has to do with the fact that the Orioles are leading the American League East, but they're in a very hot pennant race, chased closely by Toronto and Boston. The Yankees are not all that far back. Uh, let's not even talk about the poor old Tampa Bay Rays. But, I mean, there are extraneous things that come into the way people think about their lives, and if they're all caught up in, in Orioles magic right now, is that in any way influential in what's what's happening in Baltimore, giving giving mm-hmm. Baltimoreans a, a, a fairly happy outlook on life? As much as I'd like to give Buck Showalter credit for something, um, no. <laughs> it's, okay, uh, well, I know, thought I'd give it a shot. It's, it, look, it's good to – it, it was um, – I actually attended uh, the game – I don't know if you guys remember it last summer – where no one came, where it was a game played against the White Sox where literally wait, – Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How could yeah. you attend the game that nobody went to? No, no. The That's... press were allowed, went to the game. Oh, um, okay. All right. Oh. There was no – It sounds like one of those ancient riddles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where the – Special privilege then. It, it was very <laughs> – yeah, it uh, it reminded me of an early Marlins, Marlins game, but Jim. nevertheless, ah. no. Or uh, pretty much any Rays game. Yeah, but anyway, now, to your point, Ba-boom. it was um, <laughs> it was very weird. But no, uh, look, there's a lot of civic pride in Baltimore, uh, and they basically uh, love their Orioles, but they also understand the severity and the and the the situation and, and also I, I, I in putting a bow on this i think there there also should be some uh some kudos given to the gray family who throughout this entire process uh wanted peace wanted a peaceful resolution and was clearly involved in making sure that uh from their standpoint there was no vengeance of any sort that they wanted to see uh, come out of this. And uh, if you're listening to this, and we hope you are, it's the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams. Our guests, Tom Jackson from the right, Joe Henderson from the left, and one of our interesting but fun new guests is Chris Interesting. Where, where am I from, Jimbo? 
Uh, you were from. You said you said Florida, so I'm going to say the Tampa no, Bay I'm, area. Actually. No, and, I, I, you know what side? The left, the right, the the up, the down. Oh, you he's are. So, he's in the middle. He's the self-proclaimed. You are in the middle. Self-proclaimed mushy middle. You are in the middle. You are the you he's are the mushy middle guy. He can be he can be won over. So uh, you know any any bribes is not you know not that I would ever consider uh, Chris taking a bribe, but if you want to give him a try, I'm sure that. Uh, you can I, find him uh, at AM6, uh, AMA20, WWBA, doing the morning you, show. And you uh, bribe me, you know, for my vote? Uh, that, oh. uh, well, anyway, they want to bribe you, Chris. I mean, you know, I don't, you know, for a voter, for whatever wants, uh, for whatever favors they want from you, you are, uh, you Come do on. a morning show in the morning. So, you know, it's worthwhile. Topics, gentlemen. What, Jimbo, uh, I. I have, Jimbo, I have, I have listened to Chris. I, I think that he is a man of principle and integrity, and the only way you can be he can be persuaded is with a convincing argument. And uh, uh, Joe and I are experts. He's in the wrong place for arguments. that. We, wow. we do love uh, to argue. That's what we do. Wow! Wow! Well, Beat I do too, and that's what I, I, I like to argue too, and that's one of the things that I'm fighting with this new show. And I really like uh, what they're trying to do over there, and really have a conversation. And I, you know, I know that's would normally be a cliche and actually just a branding gimmick in different times, but that's really what the program director talks to me about every single day. You know, when I start to, you know, get into radio mode and and you know to start thinking along the lines of quarter hour maintenance and how do I keep people along long, you know, around longer for uh, ratings, he's reminding me slow down and bring more people into the conversation. And um, it's not easy. It's a, it really is. It's a challenge. And, uh, but I don't know. I think, I think we're onto something there. I hope we're onto something there anyway. Well, I am glad people still want to converse and not just shout. That's, that's encouraging. Well, I don't know. You know, one of the interesting things that came out in the, uh, with that poll in the beginning of the week, and everybody focused on, you know, the bump that Donald Trump got coming out of the convention last week, I thought was, this glaring 70% of Americans are angry. Um, I think it was 68 or 70% of Americans, and I can't remember how it was worded, are mad at the way things are going or angry at the way things are going. And to me, that seemed very telling because talking to my, my friends on the left, they seem very confident that there's no way in hell that Donald Trump is going to get voted in. And I can completely understand from their vantage point why intellectually you would think that. But if it's true that 70% of Americans are angry, then it doesn't matter. Rational thought goes out the window. And, you know, and then in those times, people vote a little erratically, and they're going to vote for – or they could vote for the erratic guy. They could. Um, I, I, I'm not ruling out a Trump election, um, certainly not to the degree I was six months ago when I – Still really couldn't accept it. But there are, as Mitt Romney would like to say, probably 47% of the people out there who absolutely loathe Hillary Clinton, and there's nothing she can do to change their mind. And a similar percentage probably loves her and hates Trump. So the election's really going to be decided by just a handful of folks. And I hope they have their thinking caps on because we really need. some we don't need emotional voting right now we need smart voting well i'm 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 going to be doing some drinking and voting i think that's the best way for me to do it 
Well, there may be more drinking after the election, <laughs> depending on who wins. But uh, I hear you. Yeah. That was, fellas, what I what I am aching to see, Thomas. What what I am aching to see, fellas, is Gary Johnson get to fifteen, sixteen, seventeen percent in agree. the polls. Because if we can get him on the stage for yeah. those debates, then I think it's the there's there's the potential. For for game change there, uh, because I you're Chris, you're exactly right. I, I see those same polls, and they keep going up and up and up. That 69 to 70 odd percent of Americans think we're on the wrong track. Now, I would bet you that just like the rest of America, that 70 percent is evenly divided between people who think that we are on the wrong track for certain reasons. And others who think we're on track on the wrong track for other reasons. I mean, the people who flocked to Bernie Sanders are mad about one set of facts, and the people who have flocked to Donald Trump are angry about a different set of facts. Now they're both equally mad, but they are they are angry for different things, except for except for trade, and that they find unity in. Uh, and and. and both of their solutions for what ails us regarding trade is just absolutely going – if either one of – if those sides, if that unified side gets its way, I worry about the future of the world's economy because we're going to go right back to 1929. Guys, so, lots of anger, diverse anger, I think. But you know, Tom, one, one of the other things that was unifying – from the Bernie people as well as the Trump people is is getting big money out of government. And uh, that was something that uh, I think, you know, uh, is going to be, that's a heavy lift for no matter who gets involved in that situation. But again, uh, that's something that uh, is going to be a lot of fun to find out because every time a bill comes up to vote to uh, get money out of government, it gets voted down. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a hypocrisy in that regard. So I don't know. I mean, you're right. There's people who are angry on the Bernie side. They're angry on the Trump side. And right now it's bubbling up. And uh, we traditionally have a time in August when pretty much people put, you know, put aside the politics grab a book or grab whatever, head for the beach, and uh, you know, don't think about it until September comes around. I'd like to, let me go across the board here. I'll start with you, Joe, and then we'll go to Tom, and then we'll go to Chris. What are your thoughts? Do you think people are going to take off uh, August, or you think that because of this election being so mm-hmm. close that, that the candidates are going to be out? I mean, you're going to see Hillary Clinton and, and, uh, and, and uh, Donald Trump in Florida uh, more than you see some of the regular politicians in Florida. Well, there, there's one important thing to remember that uh, in Florida and probably like a lot of states, there are primary elections to be held in mm-hmm. August. So you're not going to be able to escape from politics completely. Now, if you're just talking about presidential politics I would I would wager and and I'm I'm prepared to be wrong on this but I would wager a a small drink anyway that (laughs) a fairly substantial number of people have already made up their mind who they're voting for 
and not much of what they hear in the next several months is going to make that much of a difference. To me, the whole thing is going to be what's going on behind the scenes when all of the you know the debates. The debates will be important, obviously huge. I'm sorry to use that word, but uh, while all the campaigning is going, it's going to be a come down to the side that can get their people to the polls, and that's that's what I'm going to be watching. What's going to be kind of going on so just beneath the surface? All right. Got any um, comments on that? Well, uh, Tom here. Um, Joe is, is largely right. I saw a report from the Florida Secretary of State the other day that said already 2 million Floridians have requested primary uh, uh, mail ballots for, for the primary, which is a record uh, by – I think it sets a record by a huge margin, which suggests that an awful lot of people are tuned into what's going on in the election, and they're not going to go away in August. They're, they're going to be I – think, I think social media changes everything, that uh, you don't have to be in front of a TV. You don't have to have the newspaper in front of you. To be to be dialed into what's going on in right. politics, you just you just you just go to your Facebook page, and despite the pleas of many people who are saying please keep this uh, free of politics, po- politics just comes blasting through as we continue to to yell at each other about what we think ought to happen. Uh, so August is going to be like September, and September is going to be like October, and I I, I just think that it's going to be revving up. Even, Day by day, week by week, more of a fever pitch. And uh, Joe, I, I, I will give you. Uh, we've talked about this in the past that the debates will be incredibly important, possibly as important as the as the one debate between Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter was in 1980. But I also think that events in October will be pivotal. And and what what Donald Trump was talking about in that press conference yesterday about if the Russians have those 33,000 emails that were deleted, it sure would be interesting to have a peek at them. Uh, events like that are also going to be persuasive. Events in, in, uh, in 2008 were pivotal. John McCain had a slight lead going into the meltdown, and that changed everything. McCain's babbling and, and, and dropping out of the campaign was pivotal, and that helped Barack Obama his his no drama Obama really was established at that point. So again, I think I think we've got a long way to go. People are going to be paying attention throughout August, and it's going to be a fever pitch determined by events in October. Chris Fisher. Uh, yes, he hit on two uh, uh, points. I think normal years, if it's not for social media, it's not for what uh, Facebook has become. Even if this race is the way it is, people will still find a way to tune out in August, but they can't anymore, and they don't. And this this campaign is doing such a great job of resonating with the – and I keep coming back to that anger, that anger that America seems to have. Uh, I'm not even going to say especially on the right. It is on both sides. There is a, an anger there. Um, and secondly is that you don't know what's – this is reality television at its finest. You have no idea every single day you wake up what is going to be next. 
You know, I heard some commentators last week talking about how a lot of times these conventions can just, you know, just kind of come and go and they play to the base and you move on. It doesn't, you know, make any headway or noise. Um, but that's not this year. And uh, last week I was, or two weeks ago after the uh, uh, hearings or the, or Comey got in front of, um, you know, that committee or whatever he was in front of, I said, all right, well, Donald Trump's going to walk right into the White House. And then I stopped and go, no, no, because next week something else will come out about Donald Trump, and I'll get on the radio and say Hillary's going to walk right into the White House. So I think people are really locked in because of the drama of this. I don't know that anyone going anywhere. walk into the, to, to the White House with this group. Uh, guys, one of the things – Joe, you hit on it um, just a minute ago about the, um, the down-ballot stuff in the primaries. You and Tom uh, are tuned into it. What what's going to happen? Is uh, is Marco Rubio going to roll uh, on the Republican side? What's what's the Republican and Democratic side, Senate, and other key races look like uh, as we get closer here to uh, to the primary election days? Yeah, I don't. I, Tom, I'm sure you won't disagree with me on this. I think Marco Rubio wins without even breaking a sweat. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, yeah. well, he's got water there. So, um, but the interesting thing, uh, interesting thing about Marco is that he has shown a lot of early strength against his likely Democratic challenger, Patrick Murphy, uh, a young guy um, who was highly touted by the party. But the, here in the last couple of weeks, Patrick Murphy's been just flooding the airwaves with. Uh, commercials uh, with Barack Obama endorsing him. And, you know, although my Republican friends hate to hear this, uh, the president is still very popular, and he's very popular uh, in certain parts of Florida. So that that might wind up uh, swaying that election. But as far as to get back to Rubio, I mean, that's that's not even going to be worth paying attention to uh, in the primary because he's going to win big. Yeah, and we but uh, we have seen how transferable Barack Obama's popularity is in the 2010 and 2014 elections. When he's not on the ballot, no matter how much he talks up, I need your help in the Senate and I need you to send me help in the House of Representatives. It just doesn't surface. So I, I, I it's all it's all well and good that he's got Slow Joe and, and Barack Obama. Uh, endorsing him on these commercials. For every one of those I see, I see three or four commercials that point out that the man's resume is an absolute fraud. And I don't see how he overcomes that. His, 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 only, his only fortune is that the guy he's running against for the Democratic nomination, Alan Grayson, is a nutcase. I mean, he's a brilliant <laughs> guy from, every, from everything that I have gathered. He is an absolute brilliant guy, and he's he has one of those photographic memories, but I, he got himself into additional trouble this week. He, he was already run, he was running neck and neck the last poll that I saw sometime in late June. He was running neck and neck with Patrick Murphy before the stuff hit the fan about uh, about Murphy's uh, resume, where he says he was a CPA but he's not licensed in Florida. Florida has a tougher CPA exam than where he is than where he earned his his license, which is in Colorado. Um, and he also said that he was a small business owner. He was a small business owner of a subsidiary of one of his dad's companies, and his subsidiary was uh, amounted to two boats that were supposed to be involved 
in the uh, in the, the Gulf cleanup, and those boats never left port. So Patrick Murphy has some problems uh, as far as his resume is, is concerned. But Alan Grayson, again, nutcase, hated by the by, by the Democratic establishment. And this week, his ex-wife Lolita files uh, papers in court saying that she that that, that Grayson abused her uh, constantly throughout their 20-year marriage. And then he's and then Grayson the next day is caught on video trying to run over a, a Politico um, uh, journalist who merely wants to ask him questions. It was classic. I mean, the thing went viral, and so two two hopelessly flawed candidates for this Senate, nomina- Senate nomination for Democrats, um, it's, it's absolutely the opposite problem that Marco had when he was running for president. So I think, uh, I, I think it, yes, I, I, I think he wins in a walk unless yeah. – Unless Trump proves so hopelessly uh, uh, unacceptable that he drags down the rest of the of the Republican ticket. Yeah, just to amplify on Tom's point uh, about Grayson uh, a little bit, there was a story that uh, just came out a few hours ago, actually, where uh, Harry Reid has uh, called Grayson a quote fraud and demanded that uh, he leave the race. So. Oh, wow. I, I think I think um, you know we will see young Patrick Murphy uh, square off, and I think although the polls do show that that uh, Rubio is a likely winner in that, and certainly the GOP will pour a lot of resources into it, he might expect to hear uh, his voting record brought up a few times too. Uh, speaking of flaws, well, you know, well, no doubt, no doubt. I think wasn't it uh, you're listening to, by the way. The politi- politically incorrect podcast, and uh, Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson, and Chris Fisher. Guys, and gentlemen, uh, I'd like I'd like I'd like to take this time to actually bow out of the conversation, if you don't mind. I apologize, okay. uh, but it's reaching that point. It's reaching that point where I need to get dinner ready for my fiance by the time she gets home. We don't want any. I don't want to do have your priorities in order. I salute you, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. I don't, you are a swell fella. Chris, I don't want to be beat. Before you leave, before you leave, tell everybody how they can find you on social media and uh, plug the show. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, you can track me down on Twitter at Fisher the Man, Fisher the Man, Fisher no see. And uh, I, I, right now, I'm the interim host of your wake up call on AM820 News at NewstalkFlorida.com. And if you're here locally in the Bay Area in Tampa Bay, it's AMA 20 from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Monday through Friday with Kurt Schreiner and Blake Bass. Thanks a lot, Chris. We'll see you down the road. You don't be a stranger, and we're more than happy to have you uh, join us anytime you want. Thank you so much. Here, here. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Good show, Chris. Thank you. Have a great day. Chris Fisher Bye-bye. on his way out the door. Thank you very much, Chris. And, uh, boys, we'll go back to uh, one of the things I wanted to ask. Uh, Chuck Schumer, uh, I thought this week, talked to Grayson about the possibility of uh, bowing out of that uh, race. Well, it doesn't Everybody matter whether he bows out. out or not. He's going to get smoked. So I, I <laughs> can envision, after all of this, no scenario by which Grayson wins the nomination. I just can't. 
Oh, how um, you underestimate how you underestimate the anger of the of the progressive progressive left, Joe. I think that they find Patrick Murphy so reprehensible that they will forgive the allegations against against their guy because they know that he really mixes it up on the floor of the House, and they would love to see him go from being one of 435 to one of 100. And I, I think I think it'll be close right down to the uh, right down to the wire. Photo would, finish. Would a, okay. Would a Grayson uh, Rubio Grace be close? No. I don't know if it would be close, but by God, it would be entertaining. It would be one of the best. I, I mean, the uh, the New York Times magazine had had a piece come out just a couple of days ago that called it that, that called this whole Florida Senate race the second most interesting campaign this year, and, uh, and it was a thoroughgoing exposure of how everybody in the race is flawed one way or the other, and that includes Carlos Baruch. Um, and and it's, it, it, it would be perfect. It would be perfect if it winds up being Rubio and Grayson. I would love to watch that. Get your popcorn. There you go. The debate uh, would be entertaining. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> what's the uh, – I mean, so Rubio basically gets a pass for the fact for the last three years he was MIA uh, in the in the Senate? No, I don't think he does at all. I think that right now, if you're the if you're the Democratic candidate, and let's assume for argument's sake it's Patrick Murphy, you're not worried about Marco Rubio yet. You've got to get, you know, right. through the primary. Yeah. But if you know, just as this seat is very important to the Republicans, so it is to the Democrats, and they're going to be down here anyway, uh, trying to win the state for Hillary. So I think they're going to pump enormous resources into this state and uh, hope that they can pick up a Senate seat. I think it will be closer than my friend Tom thinks. Oh, did I say it's not going to be close? I think it will be close. I think um, the, the, the polls right now are showing Marco with anywhere from a, a three- to seven-point lead, and I think it's going to be closer to three than it is seven. Uh, but – but yeah, I, I, I think that that uh, right leaning and and centrist republic uh, centrist Floridians um, don't mind that too terribly that Marco spent a good portion of his last three years planning to and then actually running for president any more than uh, than Illinoisans uh, were mad at Barack Obama for taking a pass out of the Senate almost the moment he got there to run for president. Now, I, I think that, that, that voters are rational enough to see that, that somebody who's running for president isn't going to make it to, to every vote. And if we look really hard at Rubio's record, he didn't miss any votes where his vote would be pivotal to the outcome. Yes, uh, so, my so friend, that, but you're forgetting so he, so one got that key thing. You're forgetting one and key that thing. Be, at least the junior senator from Illinois, when he was running for president, did not go around saying how much he hated being in the Senate. And, and Marco Rubio never said that he hated being in, the, being in the Senate. He said that he was frustrated about being in the Senate. But I, I'm hoping that he's, I'm hoping that he can make the argument that he's grown up a little bit. Well, well the, good, the one thing that, that I looked at 
in, with Marco Rubio was that it seemed that every time he introduced a piece of legislation, he never closed it. I mean, he never he was never able to push the legislation that he was bringing. And then the one time he did get involved in legislation, which was the you know, immigration situation, he ran away from it like it, you know, like he, uh, like it was the plague. So, I mean, I get the fact that, that you can want to be running for something, but I, I don't get the fact that you get a pass on the one thing you're going to go for and you run away from it. Well, you stand up for something until you, your constituents say, what the hell are you thinking? And then you, and then you change your mind. And, uh, and I, that that was that was part of Marco's learning curve. I I have uh, I have I wrote a piece some months ago when the Tampa Tribune was still alive, laying the blame for that squarely at the feet of uh, of Ryan's Priebus and the uh, that autopsy report that came out at the after the 2012 debacle, where uh, the where establishment Republicans said essentially we've got to get this immigration thing off the table because as long as it's around we're going to get bashed from both our hardcore right and from the left because we are somehow opposed to making immigration work so marco wanders in takes one for the team and then sees what nasty blowback comes from that because it it was we were we were going to trade amnesty for a form of amnesty anyway for a promise to to tighten the, the border and and Republicans, people on the right, know very well what comes of do this for us now, and we'll do something for you, that you like later. Uh, works in Washington. It, it never goes well for for conservatives when that's the deal. So you're talking the conservatives being the Tea Party conservatives or the conservatives? I mean, because they had the House and the Senate. So where, what, who, who was gonna, who was gonna do you over in this job? Who was going to what? I'm sorry, I'm. Who is? Uh, you had said that you you see how well, things when you yeah. do a, a favor for somebody who's got. Is it the the establishment Republicans were going to do something and 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 uh, and not look at it or who is going to who is going to get screwed? No. Well, the 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 newly rising conservative right of the Republican Party, as I see it from 2010 on. Mm-hmm. Um, were were watching very hard what was going on with the with the immigration business, and right. they and 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 they and I think that that their point of view was all along that Washington is great about trading something it wants right now for a promise about what it's going to do down the line, mm-hmm. and the the absolute promise was that amnesty in some form was coming down the pipe. For 11 million illegal immigrants, and there was a promise of tighter border security when they wanted tighter border. Let's have, let's tighten up the border, and when we have established that we're not leaking anymore, then we'll talk about. Well, that was not the Schumer method, and it was the method that that Marco bought into. That we're going to do this whole thing at once, um, and, and yes, it was the it was the vocal newly rising Tea Party right that said, we're not doing business like that. And they were they were afraid of getting screwed, and they had enough clout and enough noise, could make enough noise to kill it, which is where we are now. So it was the Freedom Caucus that, that put it down, basically. 
I think yes. Yes. Okay. So, all right. Well, good to know that uh, that, that was a little inside situation with that regard. Um, guys, we're we're coming to that point where we're getting ready for last call. So, uh, Tom, I'll give you last call on this one. Go ahead and start up and let us know what uh, what your thoughts are as we wind things down here on the uh, politically incorrect podcast. Well, I think the uh, I think Democrats, despite having all of the uh, so many demonstrations and booing and uh, and and the rest of the discord that has gone on at their at their convention, has frankly had a really good convention. I mean, it is it is great showmanship every night. Uh, Democrats, no, let me say that Republicans need to take lessons on elocution from Democrats. The speech that Joe Biden gave uh, Wednesday night was a thing of absolute beauty, surpassed only by the, the speech given later that night after everybody had gone to bed by President Obama. Uh, President Obama's, he essentially, with the exception of mentioning Hillary Clinton time and again, he essentially reprised his 2004 speech, and it was a thing of beauty. Joe Biden knows how to modulate at the microphone. He knows what a microphone is for, and he just romanced those people in the crowd and the people at home, too. I, I, I mean, I, I've, I've seen him speak live before, and that's just the way he is. He's a natural guy. He is a natural speaker, and Republicans have nobody who can do that, except with the exception of the junior senator from Florida, and he didn't win. His, he, he didn't win election to uh, to to go toe to toe. So, all that said, tonight Hillary Clinton gets the spotlight, and America will be reminded that surrogates are not the candidate. The candidate is the candidate, and I think that she has got a real uphill climb despite her opposition, because the guy out there with the bad hair who's tweaking her at every turn is going to be ultimately in this year of all years, tough to beat. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't argue with, uh, with what you're saying on that, Joe, uh, your final call. Well, I would echo uh, a little bit of what uh, my friend Tom said. Uh, I think he did leave out uh, somebody who, was right up there as a speaker with the rest of them, and that's Michelle Obama. Uh, her speech Monday night, and uh, and I've given Bernie Sanders a nod, too, uh, to open the convention when there was all this controversy going around about the WikiLeaks and all of this stuff, painted a beautiful tone for the Democrats and helped pull them back from the precipice, and they built on that ever since. Uh, I agree completely about Joe Biden's speech, and uh, I think I tweeted at one point uh, during his speech that uh, there were probably a fair amount of Democrats, whether they would admit it or not, were sitting there at that point going, man, I wish he had run. Uh, because he, would, he, he might have given Hillary a run for her money. In fact, I'm sure he would have. Uh, he doesn't have near the baggage that she does. And uh, we might be looking at a totally different situation now. But I do think Democrats are going to come out of this in far better shape than it looked like uh, when they were going into it, and uh, then the race begins, and we wait for Trump's next tweet and the next uh, WikiLeaks drop, and we'll see what the voters decide at that point. 
Well, I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, I think that it's going to be a very interesting thing. I think that from a speech standpoint that uh, Hillary Clinton would be wise to basically come off as a strong person, but in a, in a soft voice and, and be, take measured tones and move in that direction as an orator because she's not a good candidate uh, from a standpoint of being a retail politician. And her best, uh, her best bet, at least from my standpoint, is to come off trying to be soft and more likable in that regard and, uh, and let the, uh, the heavy-duty rhetoric come from uh, the other guys who are very good at, uh, at giving, those, uh, giving those types of speeches. But it'll be entertaining, and uh, we certainly have plenty to talk about next time we get together on this, the uh, – on this, the – Politically Incorrect podcast. And uh, before we go, of course, uh, we want to let both of you get your uh, uh, get your social media in there so people know where to get you. Uh, Tom, you go ahead and go first. All right. I have a, uh, a professional Facebook page. I use the term professional advisedly, uh, and that would be Tom Jackson, journalist, entrepreneur. And you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, Jax, J-A-X, Tampa. Thomas Jax, Tampa. Joe Henderson. Uh, I, too, have a professional Facebook page. Also uh, put that in air quotes. But uh, it's uh, Joe Henderson, commentary, comma, columns, and such. You can reach me on Twitter at, at J, the initial J, Henderson, Tampa. And I'm Jim Williams. You can read all of our stuff at newstalkflorida.com. You can listen to this podcast, and we hope that you do, at Blog Sock Radio, and that's a great place to get the podcast. You can go right there and download it from blogtalkradio.com. You can also get us at iTunes. You can get it at the Google Play Store. And very soon you'll be able to get it on the website at newstalkflorida.com. We very much thank you for joining us on the Politically Incorrect podcast. And until next time, be safe and enjoy life. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.